This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Builder Future Podcast. Uh, very happy today to have Brittany Harris from Qualis Flow, all the way from the UK. Brittany, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about sustainability, but from a very different perspective. Do you mind giving us an overview of what Qualis Flow is? Yeah, sure. Qualis Flow, in the simplest way, enables a positive shift in the way that construction teams collect and use environmental data during the construction process. Um, so our mission is to help construction teams really build more sustainably and take a data-driven approach to that. So we automate the data capture, but we also make that data usable to inform their decision-making. And we use data science to really draw out the key nuggets of value that that data can provide so we can ultimately drive more sustainable construction processes. That's awesome because when we usually think about sustainability, it's this not necessarily a pie-in-the-sky idea. It's something that we don't really know how it has an impact on the environment. We don't really know how we're going to actually help in a quantifiable way. So was that a gap that you saw in the market and yeah. you tried to kind of solve that solution to have that data-driven kind of sustainability model? Yes, that's exactly why we started Qflow. So I was working as a design engineer um, and I was getting increasingly frustrated with being asked to assess the impact of a development and put forward ideas on how we can make it more sustainable and more positive. And a lot of these ideas were either getting cost engineered out or the real value behind them wasn't being truly understood from the beginning. Um, I then met my co-founder and she was spending all this time during the construction process manually capturing and processing all this data on things like the materials coming onto site, where they've come from, what their carbon footprint is, and also all the waste going off and what, what happens with that. And I was like, I need this data. Like, why can't I have this? <laughs> so we tried to figure out ways to sort of close that data loop between the design, construction and operation process and really start stitching together those sort of value propositions so that it wasn't this sort of pie in the sky idea that, oh, yay, let's be more sustainable. It was a really hard quantified value to the project as a whole saying, you know, if you reduce the number of materials you're using and if you reduce the amount of waste you're generating, not only are you being more sustainable, but you're saving loads of time and money. And we needed to put some numbers to that so that we could communicate to the commercial guys at the top that this was something they should invest in. And it wasn't just something that we hippie environmentalists were really like shouting for. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke about materials coming on the site and waste management kind of systems. Was that the start of the concept? Because right now you have three modules, right? Yeah. So what are those three modules? Where did you start from? How did it kind of evolve with time? 
So it's weird because we didn't actually start there. We actually started with water. So I'm a water engineer by background, but I've sort of loved the whole sort of sustainability space. But as we started exploring that value proposition with construction teams, we realized that actually it didn't have the same imperative as managing materials and wasted across the full spectrum of construction projects. It only really came into play where they were working near open water bodies or near groundwater tables. So we sort of pivoted. And one thing that we try really hard to do is take an industry-driven approach to everything that we do. So we were listening to our clients' feedback and they're saying, you know what, water's important, but the most important thing right now is getting the right materials on site and getting the waste down. And so we really focused on that area. Then the more sites that we started working with, we realized air quality, particularly in London, was becoming a really big focus point. So we were working with a very large infrastructure project and they wanted to understand if they could improve the way they were managing their construction processes to reduce the impact on air quality and the exposure of their operatives on site. So we explored that and we were like, yeah, sure, you can draw this data in from remote devices on site and we can start analysing that with data science and giving you predictive insights on how to draw down that air quality impact and ensure that your operatives aren't being exposed to dangerous levels. So in the simplest way, all Qflow does is draw in data from external sources like apps and IoT devices on site, and then it crunches it with a load of data science and just feeds back the useful bits to you. So we can apply that to materials, waste, air quality, noise, whatever it is you're trying to understand. And we're sort of steadily expanding that portfolio of offerings. Awesome. So is it something that these three areas, I guess, right now that you're focusing on, do contractors kind of sign up that you've seen with all three modules at the start? Can they start with one? Because, you know, contractors and technology, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's take it baby steps at a time, baby steps at a time, right? Yeah, definitely. So most people have either started with waste and materials or just one or two. So we've got one contractor who's just using it for waste. So they're really, really focused on making sure that they're tracking that and they're doing it in a legal way. We've got lots who are just looking at core material offerings, so particularly responsible sourcing of timber has been a really big thing for a lot of big commercial developments in the UK. It's a big sort of tick box that they want to hit. It makes them look more responsible, as it were. But the real benefit of Qflow comes when you're using multiple modules at a time. The reason being is if you're tracking materials coming onto site and then waste going off, you can kind of do a mass balance and say, okay, well, we ordered 10 tons of plasterboard and we've just taken four tons off in waste like what is going on here why are we wasting so much board? and you can start asking those questions of the data and identifying weaknesses in workflows that you can really target to try and improve your overall efficiency and profitability on site so tell me a little bit about the initial buy-in when you guys started you guys won the was it 2017 the people's choice award at the royal academy of engineers Tell me about that process, what that was like, and did it help in gaining some of that visibility with the quote-unquote big players in the industry? Yeah, it was actually a really funny process. So at the time that we went for this award, Jade and I were still working full-time for our respective companies. So I was working for Bureau Happold Engineering, and she was working for Scanscare. And we had sort of been talking about this idea, but we hadn't really done anything with it. And I came across this competition 24 hours before the deadline, and I was like, wow. you know what, sod it, let's do it. Let's throw it out there and see what happens. <laughs> and we were mortified when we actually got through and they were like, oh, can you send us your website? Can you send us this video? And we were like, website? 
we just made this up. What are they asking for? <laughs> so we had to sort of scramble and pull this stuff together. We got through to the interview process and the feedback in that interview process really helped us scrutinize what it was we were putting forward. And that's when we expanded the sort of main thinking from being purely on water to look at multiple aspects of the environmental impact of construction. And then we continued to build that out and we got through to the final and we pitched this idea And at the final, this woman called Elizabeth Finch, who runs her own construction technology company, she's a big leading figure in the UK's engineering space, came up to us and she was like, I love you guys. I want to mentor you. Let's do this. And we were like, (laughs) oh, wow, okay. This actually had some like (laughs) Some legs, some legs of traction, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so that whole process really kick-started us on, okay, let's turn this into a really big thing and and take it to the industry. And we can do this. We can change the industry. So it really did kick-start Qualiflow as being a proper leggy piece of technology, as it were. Nice, nice. So, you know, with Qualiflow when you started and now, I guess they were founded on some core values, right? What are those core values? Yeah, so Jade and I have been friends for a long time. And so we're incredibly honest with each other. And we really love that honesty and transparency and the sort of integrity that comes with being upfront. And so we've always had that relationship. And we realized that what we were asking of the construction industry was for them to be honest and transparent with their impact. So it's a really core part of Qflow is to really hold on to that integrity piece and say like, okay, we know we're not perfect, but we're trying our best to get this right. And this is how we're going to show you the process that we are going through and the progress we're making. So that's definitely one of the big core functions of, of who we are as a company and what we're asking of the industry as well. I would say the other kind of things is we're quite, I want to say like tenacious as a company. We're two very young women in engineering and construction. It's not a normal space to be in. Construction tech <laughs> is still very young as a thing. And so we do kind of stand out as being a little bit different, a little bit feisty. I do a lot with the Institution of Civil Engineers and I'm constantly challenging them on who they are as an institution and whether they actually are up to scratch with what modern civil engineering is, because it's quite a traditional space. And that tenacity and that curiosity to constantly question, are we doing this right? Is this the best we can do or are we getting lazy? Is something else that we really strongly try and hold on to as a company. And we try and encourage with our whole team to say, okay, if you don't think we're doing this right, ask us, question us, keep pushing because we want to be doing better and we don't want to get lazy. That's actually one of the better things because the worst thing any company can do, whether they're in the tech sector or anything else, is get complacent, right? And just kind of maintain the status quo. Sometimes people don't like being challenged because they're like, oh, I've done this for so many years and it's working, so why should I change anything? Yeah, and I'm sure once I've reached that position of having done something for long enough that I might get comfortable in that space, but I hope that we will have instilled that culture enough that people continue to push and challenge me as well. That's awesome. Now, tell me a little bit more about the actual platform. What's the onboarding process like? Is it pretty intensive or do you have like a gradual kind of onboarding thing and how easy is it to use? Yeah, so it's always been pretty light touch. One of the main things that we focus on when we're sort of designing the tool is to keep it as simple as possible, strip back all the unnecessary interfaces because if you're on site, you don't want to be messing around with bits of software. You don't want to spend loads of time on a computer. You just want the useful information. So the tool is designed to be as hands-off as possible and just get the useful 
data into your hands. And since obviously the coronavirus pandemic and lockdown, meaning that being on site is much more difficult, we've managed to make most of our onboarding processes completely remote as well. So the whole process of picking up Qflow is really light touch. We talked to you about understanding what your specific project needs are because every single construction site is a little bit bespoke, but we've made the tool as flexible as possible to be able to work around your workflows and to slot in with what you're doing. So we spend a little bit of time understanding that. And then we can set you up remotely on the portal and the app. So there's an app that's used to capture photographs of the material delivery tickets and the waste transfer notes. And we digitize that using machine learning. And all of that information goes up into the cloud-based portal. And if there's anything wrong with it, you get an email notification. So everything is done remotely. It's incredibly light touch. But what it does do is it makes sure that As an engineer, when you're on site, you get the information that you need at the time you need it. And you don't have to go back. Real-time information almost pretty much, Exactly, yeah. So the way this works on site currently in the UK, and I don't know that much about the Canadian construction process, but I'm assuming it's very similar, is a material will be delivered to site. A piece of paper typically is handed over to a logistics contractor or someone at the gate. Sometimes they have a digital system, like with your Amazon package you that you sign for. Yeah. yeah, but that information takes can take up to two months to get into the hands of an engineering professional who checks the certifications. So by that time, that material's been on the site. It might have already been installed, and it's too late to then either make sure that it meets the project's contractual requirements or that you haven't actually installed something that is it could even be illegal. So what Qflow does is it will alert you, it will read that ticket and it will say, hang on a minute, this doesn't have FSC certification for responsible timber sourcing. So it might be okay for you, but I'm just letting you know so you can take action if it's required. And it's all about that being that real-time advisor on your site, just keeping track of all of that paperwork that you just don't want to deal with and just saying, I think something might be wrong here. Why don't you check it out? So that you don't have to go through 100 tickets a day. You can just go through two that look wrong. Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to what you said with one of your core values. It's keeping them honest in a sense, right? Like if you really want to make an impact, here's the information. What you do with that information is really what matters at the end of the day. But I love that they can take photos because I can only imagine if a site supervisor had to punch in every single line item with code, they would just be like, you know what? I got better things to do. (laughs) They'd rather just snap a photo, right? And 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 go. This is the carnage that we see on site every day. It's like these pieces of paper get given to guys on site. They're so busy. They've got so many things going on. That will go in their trouser pocket. That pair of trousers will go in the washing machine and paper and water don't mix. And then all of a sudden that information is completely lost. And you're like, okay, well, what can I do now? And so it's really hard to make a decision. Yeah, paper, right? I know even on my smaller projects, sometimes, you know, I only get that kind of paperwork two, three, four weeks down the line. And then they're ripped, faded, because now you've got the second sheet, not the first sheet. And you're trying to figure out, all right, do we have enough? (laughs) What actually is going on kind of thing, right? So that's pretty awesome. But now... In terms of the people that are using it right now, the contractors and such, are they of a much larger scale at the present moment who are looking to have that impact? So we've got the full spectrum. The biggest site, I think, is £2.4 billion worth of build, and that's a big mixed-use ready commercial development in London. The smallest one is an £8 million highways project. 
So you've got full, full scale differences um, and it's, you know, it can be used on mixed use, resi commercial infrastructure, utilities, whatever. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about construction is that although every single site is bespoke and every single project looks a little different, the main workflows are pretty consistent. And even though the workflows change slightly depending on the contractor, the key pain points remain the same. Yeah. I mean, what I was leading to is like, is it a scalable system? Because there are a lot of contractors in that small to medium sized business who go in and look after just interior finishes. And I know working in just interiors of restaurants and so on and so forth, sometimes it's challenging because you're like, well, how much actual tile do I need to order? Mm -hmm. Right. So, but I'm assuming it's a pretty easy system to scale up or down depending on the needs, because really at the end of the day, it's material tracking, waste disposal that has an impact no matter the size of the project. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you've got materials coming on site and waste going off, it's useful to you and it should interface with whatever workflow you've got. The main thing that we're trying to figure out right now as a company is how we make those commercials most effectively scalable for the super projects like Canary Wharf all the way down to the micro projects like fitting out a new level of of an office suite. Now let's get back to sustainability, that whole concept. I mean, everyone talks about it as being a solely environmental impact, but there are other areas that are quantifiable and tangible impacts if you're trying to build a sustainable solution, right? Yeah. So this is a big thing that I try and get across to all of the sort of organizations I work with. So sustainability is not just environmental. And a lot of people do appreciate this on sort of a higher level, but it gets lost the further the conversation goes. So sustainability is social, which would include legal and political, economic sustainability, so everything to do with the cash flow, and then also environmental. And they are all so deeply interlinked. So if you start messing with one, you're going to upset the other two as well. So when we look at sustainability, we are talking about environmental sustainability. Are we over-consuming our resources? What impact does that have on the world? But if you're over-consuming resources, you're also going to have an economic impact and a social impact somewhere. There's someone generating those resources and there is someone purchasing and selling them. So you can't separate the three and you need to consider all three of them together and really think about as a company, if you're going to be sustainable, you need to be financially sustainable but you also need to think about your people and the resources that you're using as well. So your environmental footprint. I mean, you said it had an impact on social and economical. When you say it has an impact, are you talking about the more sustainable solution you kind of push, the more economical and the more impact on your social life in a positive sense it's going to have? Because that's the question people have, right? People think that they're sacrificing something, that it's going to cost more to build. They're thinking that they have to give up certain luxuries that they have in their social life. That's what the general public thinks. Yeah, and the reality is that it depends, which is such an annoying answer. So there are some (laughs) things that, so like, let's say I want to give up plastic to be more sustainable. The impact on my social life is that might be slightly less convenient. So if I was going to cut plastic out of my life completely, I wouldn't be able to pop down to the shop and buy a sandwich wrapped in plastic. So there is a social aspect in terms of convenience when you look at that, but that's not always the case. So if you look at construction, for example, and you're thinking about social, economic and environmental environmental sustainability, if we're just looking at the materials and waste flow, then reducing the number of materials that you waste on your construction site 
has firstly an economic impact because you're not spending money on materials that you're just throwing away. And this is outrageous statistic that 13% of materials that come onto a construction site go direct to waste without even being used, which is just mortifying. Like what a waste of money, let alone a waste of materials. So there's clearly a direct link there between environmental sustainability and economic sustainability. But when you start looking at the responsible sourcing of materials, so whether you're looking at timber or rare earth metals, there's a social impact there as well. Particularly where you're sourcing those materials from and how they are sourced will affect communities both locally but also internationally. And if you are a company that cares about that kind of thing, you also need to be thinking about the economic and social impacts of whatever it is you're doing. Well, you know, going back to the social thing, I tend to agree with you that it might have an impact, but I think that's also short-term growing pains. We all know in different countries across the world when they started banning plastic bags, right? Initially, there was a big pushback, but I think that pushback only lasted a couple of months when now people had cloth bags or baskets. And all of a sudden, you didn't hear a word about, oh, there are no plastic bags in the grocery stores anymore, the supermarkets, right? And that just became a way of life. So at that point, it's not as inconvenient, but in the short term, it might have been, right? Yeah. And it's always the way. We are incredibly adaptable and ingenious, not even sure the word is there, but probably adaptable and and intelligent when it comes to changing to new requirements within our society. So if we say no more plastics, yeah, people are going to get a little bit annoyed because it's less convenient at first, but you just build a new habit around that and it suddenly becomes so much less of a pain. And I think as people start to make new decisions, they will hopefully start to consider all three pillars of sustainability within that decision-making process. So we won't end up in situations where we're highly dependent on disposable consumables like plastic and wrapping. And so actually, we won't have to make that change back to a more sustainable process because we won't have gone down that route in the first place. But we have had a period in our history where we haven't been taking into account all three of those conditions. And so we have ended up in situations where we are now having to rethink the way that we operate as society and as individuals. And we're having to consider whether we're comfortable with that in the long run and whether it is feasible in the long run. It's awesome that you guys are pushing it right now, predominantly in the UK market, right? Are there plans to take it to different parts of the world? Because I feel like it's a system that could be used pretty much anywhere when you really think about it, because different countries have different types of resources, right? Yeah, definitely. So this year is basically focused on the UK market, but next year we are already starting to look for those pioneering partners that want to look at adopting a technology like this to really drive forward their sustainability as a company, both environmentally and economically. There's people listening out there who think it's interesting to them, then feel free to reach out. Canada, the US, Australia, they're all places that we would love to go to and to explore how we can expand the impact of the construction industry and ultimately help build a more sustainable future. Now, from what you've seen in your market in the UK, do you find there's a certain market that it's underserved right now that it actually can be used a lot more to have more of a positive impact? That's a good question. I think where we see the greatest impact is either on large infrastructure projects where they are having to move and consume huge amounts of materials and waste across their site. And there's also huge opportunities to reinforce things like circular economy initiatives where you start reusing 
but also where we've seen a lot of adoption, which isn't where we targeted, but where we've had a huge amount of uptake is in this mixed use residential commercial space. And that's largely because a lot of these private developers are targeting investment opportunities. They're trying to draw in investment from people who have very specific requirements around sustainability. So they'll be going for things like LEED certification, BRIAM certification, and they will be wanting to demonstrate to their investors that they are doing something positive, that they are being more sustainable, and that helps them attract greater investment from things like pension funds who might help them develop these assets. So particularly with the sort of high profile, high positive CSR companies like Landsec, um, they're particularly interested in having tools like this used on their development so they can demonstrate to their higher ups, to their investors, that this is something that not only are they committed to, but they have hard numbers behind and they can show in a really quantified way the kind of positive impact that they've had. And so I think either in the really complex sites like big infrastructure or the high profile sites where you're trying to attract sustainable investment, then that's where QFA can really, really add value. I'm glad you brought up the LEED certification because I've been involved in a few LEED projects and the administration side of the paperwork is pretty extensive. Um, I feel like your system could potentially solve a lot of that administrative problems with the material tracking coming in to be like, hey, has it come from the certain radius? Like, where does it come from? What's the actual product? And same thing with waste in terms of how you have to segregate everything into the different components and how far away is it going? Is it going to a recycling facility? Where is it going? Are those some of the capabilities you're working on or are there any capabilities that you're working on to kind of tweak the system and improve it while you're collaborating with the companies you work with now? Yeah, that's exactly how a lot of our clients are using it. They're using Qflow to automate all that data capture and compliance checks to feed into BRIAM reporting and lead reporting so that they can demonstrate that they have hit those key metrics so that they can get those credits and get that certification. That's fantastic. So if one of our listeners is listening today, what do you think the biggest opportunity, I mean, we've kind of talked about it at all, but for a specific company. What do you think is the biggest opportunity for them to switch to a system like this? Is it that they have to have that sustainability mindset? Or, hey, you can actually save money with your waste management system if you start incorporating some of these things? Yeah, I think there are sort of three tiers to this. The first one is just being more efficient on site. If you have some poor senior engineer who is capturing all these pieces of paper, typing them into a spreadsheet and manually reporting into some lead system, that is a waste of their time and your money. So there is an immediate sort of cost benefit in just getting the machines to do that. And that's what QFO can deliver. But if you want to extend that value proposition to deliver on the sort of sustainability targets that you want to demonstrate to your clients, your investors, then that data can be used to be more valuable for you. So you've got that initial efficiency gain, that cost saving, and just not having humans do incredibly manual stuff. But you also have that additional benefit of being able to use that data to inform decision making, but also to report up and actually show yourselves as being better than the rest. That makes sense. So where can we find a little bit more about Qualys Flow? How do they sign on? Is like a demo process? How would they reach out if they wanted to know more information? Yeah, sure. So the best way to find us is to visit our website, which is www.qualysflow.com. I'm sure it will be linked in the podcast notes. You can reach out on there to arrange a demo. You can also find some fantastic case studies of projects that we've worked on in the UK, which have some 
fantastic hard numbers about the cash gains <laughs> for the clients as well. Data-driven sustainability, right? Oh my God, yeah, so much data, so many numbers, so that it's like indisputable that this is saving you money as well as being more sustainable. Um, so that's the best way to find us. Um, and obviously, if you have any questions, reach out to us via our website. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Brittany. It's been, it's been pretty fantastic kind of bridging that gap of the concept versus somebody like me who's more of a, a data person and likes numbers and can be like, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe what I thought I was doing correctly is not actually the, the you know, there, there are more efficiencies to be had, shall we say? Yeah, I think, you know, data-driven sustainability is the way forward. We can prove that this is good and we can move forward on that basis. Fantastic, thank you so much, Brittany. Really appreciate your time today. Cheers, thanks for having me, bye. It's really fascinating to see and hear and learn so much about what so many different people are doing today to improve sustainability. I loved Brittany's three different ways of uh, improving sustainability in terms of, you know, waste management, air pollution, travel time, material tracking. And, you know, next week we're going to be talking to Mitch Lewandowski from Branch Technology. And, you know, they are focusing on something completely different and a byproduct of that is zero waste management uh, as part of their large scale design freedoms when it comes to 3D printing. It's a fascinating conversation. Stay tuned for our next episode. It was so much fun to record and you will get so much more out of it as well.